and glory! Today we're sitting down with Amari Alford, college student, double major in anthropology and international studies with a concentration in the Middle East and North Africa, pre-law track, interning at an international relations firm whilst working the stationary retail circuit. Can you hear my little artist's heart going bedump bedump? Pure human dynamo in the form of a man repeller muse and Tojol style maven. We talk a little on the ways in which we are shaped and molded. How our geographical locations play a part in this and the performative and personal dialogues we hold with ourselves whilst engaging with the world around us. As an academically accelerated individual, what does that compartmentalization even look like? Education, extracurricular, community service, a multitude of sports, friends, internships, work, health. Jokingly, but not so jokingly, I suggested Amari throw running the podcast in there too. So when there's so much feeding your identity, how do you make sure you're still showing up as yourself? From the mind and heart of someone who's transitioning to womanhood, I like to think of this episode as a precursor to the new year. That through Amari, we may see the endless multifacetedness within us. And all we have to do is answer. This is episode 31, Yellow Brick Road, part 1, because you know there is no way this lady's journey could have been broken down into anything other than a two-part deal with Amari Alford. A quick heads up. We're dealing with an overseas conversation here, so the audio may reflect this. Coming to you from New York and Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Um, I mean, I guess as a kid, I would definitely say I was a little bit more cautious and maybe careful overall. Um, I am the oldest of two in my house. I do have a half-brother. My parents did separate when I was five, so... When my dad got remarried quite some time later, I do have a half-brother who's like 11 years younger than me. But for, I would say the most part of my life until I was about 11 years old, I was the oldest of two. So I was definitely, I, I don't want to say, I, I was, I'm probably just as, just as much of, you know, kind of organized and control-oriented person as I was before. That kind of just came with the nature of the way I grew up. But I would definitely say I was more cautious in terms of the way I expressed myself. Um, and I was definitely more cautious in, the, in terms of the way that I interacted, I would say, with others. I would still say I'm a fairly guarded person, but as I've gotten older and the nature of some of the activities that I've done growing up, like, I eventually started doing theater for a period in time. I don't do that anymore. And then I, you know, eventually settled into doing political debate, things like Model UN, um, Moot Court, and now I do mock trial in college. So the nature of those activities definitely sort of pushed me to not become necessarily extroverted, but certainly more extroverted than I was before. Actually, I probably would say I've shifted into more of an extrovert than I was before. And that just kind of comes with the performative nature of a lot of what I do. So, um, and, um, I would definitely say, yeah, that's probably made me more, you know, social and it's definitely made a lot of my life more performative, if that makes sense. Um, you know, moving to New York and having more of a place in fashion has definitely, made me, um, I, I would definitely say it's made me more willing to be able to perform some of my, you know, interests, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I definitely think that that, that kind of comes with the territory of moving to a more metropolitan city. Miami is definitely a place that, although at first people can think, is a more metropolitan city. Um, it's, it's kind of the nature of the way the city is set up, where you can't really use public transportation to get anywhere. You can need a car to get everywhere that makes it, I don't want to say less community-oriented, but more community-oriented into what's in your immediate surroundings. So, 
that definitely limits the scope of your social interaction. So I would definitely say that kind of impacted the way I was, you know, when I was younger and now moving to New York, you're definitely forced to create more of an identity for yourself. And I think that's evident even sort of the way that I interact with people who, you know, grew up in Miami and grew up in New York. So I guess kind of like the best way to describe the main difference between who I was as a child and who I am now is that way that I perform socially. And that is definitely in big part um, to where I lived in both times. Yeah the geographical location is it's it goes so much into like who you are as a being yeah it does and I definitely think the way that it does that is that I don't think anything fundamentally changes about you I just think sort of the way that the foundation of who you are manifests change so I guess I do still have a lot of the same traits I had when I was younger I'm definitely someone who's very you know rule following and you know organized oriented and I, I would definitely consider myself a little bit of a control freak sometimes so um the way that that manifests definitely changed based on where I was. When you're in some, when you're in a city like New York and everyone is so individualized and individual oriented, you feel like you have more control over yourself, the way that you present to people and the way that you basically live your life every minute of every day, because all you have to do is walk somewhere or take a train somewhere and you're there and you know, no less than 30 minutes to an hour, depending on where you need to be. Whereas in Miami, something even as simple as needing to drive somewhere really changes the way that you go about your day and go about your life because I feel like there's, you know, it requires much more deliberateness on your part. And because of that, you're not as open to maybe really living out your life in the exact way that you want to because it requires so much more time and effort. And I think that's a big part of the reason why I think the attitudes between people in Miami and New York are so different um, in Miami, you know, people are, it's a coastal city, you know, people are very chilled out, they're very relaxed. Um, and that was a big part of the reason why I left. I, I didn't feel like my ambition was being stoked in a way that was beneficial to me. And, you know, I knew from a pretty young age that I always wanted to move, um, preferably to New York. Whereas in New York, you have so many opportunities and so much access to so many different cultures that, you know, who being who you want to be and kind of exploring those different parts of you that you may not be able to somewhere else is so much more easy. And not only is it easy, it's demanded of you, I think, by your environment and the people in it. So, um, yeah, no, I definitely think those two things had a pretty large impact on who I, or at least how I communicated who I was to the people around me. And I definitely think that people who know me have been able to tell that difference. Like I've, you know, friends who have not known me for a lot of my life have, you know, kind of, remarked on how much I've changed since I, you know, moved to New York. And, um, yeah, I definitely think that I, I anticipated that that would happen, but I guess I didn't realize how clear that change would be. So I guess that would be kind of the best way for me to describe, you know, that change that happened. How adept you are in just navigating that space. And I noticed that you said perform, but it's almost, it's more so like you, it's just drawn certain aspects of yourself that you may not have known of before or you're fully embodying them now would you agree um I wouldn't say I wasn't fully aware of them but I guess I could definitely say they were dormant what I kind of meant by the performative aspect of it and I you know kind of talked about this a lot with a lot of my friends who do some of the same extracurricular activities as I do or kind of share the same sort of career path that I do so they might be in the humanity or so they might be pre-law like I am um in so much more than the sense of like a lot of their extracurricular activities that we have or the nature of the spaces that we find ourselves in, like even something as simple as the classes that we find ourselves in, they possess a certain type of, you know, energy or kind of, you know, atmosphere that demands a sort of 
nonstop performative, you know, kind of nature of the people who are in it. So only performative in the sense that maybe you're even talking in a certain way that you wouldn't necessarily talk, or maybe you're talking about things in a certain way that you wouldn't necessarily do in another setting or on your own, or just kind of the way that you carry yourself. Like I'll kind of notice, and I've talked, you know, I've talked with a lot of my mock trial friends about this, that, you know, after coming back from class or after coming back from practice or a practice maybe where you weren't even particularly practicing anything, maybe your role wasn't called upon at that um, time, you almost get home and you feel like your shoulders finally drop and your face settles into a different way. Like there's something so, you know, really performative about the way that you go about your day-to-day life when so much of what you do requires for you to perform, you know, perform with people in a certain way, to speak to people th- about things in a certain way that isn't necessarily normal or average. I, I don't know exactly how to quite describe it, but it's something sort of you know when you do. It, it's just kind of about the way that you're assimilating to the environment that you're in that just isn't kind of the way that a normal person would interact with things. And I definitely think people in different fields probably know the same thing. And it's probably something that's just a part of normal day-to-day life that we're all kind of just getting used to because... You know, all of us, um, all my friends in my group, this is, we're all just entering our junior year of college. So we're still kind of getting used to what it's like to be, you know, in the real world on our own. And maybe that's kind of just a part of the rest of our lives and we're coming to understand it. But it's definitely an observation I've had and something that I've noticed has changed. Because not to say that there weren't performative aspects of my life in high school, but there's something so different about it, given the context of living in New York and being more immediately next to that next step in your career. I mean, I guess the best way to put it is that a lot of us, you know, were academically gifted in high school, middle schools, elementary school, what have you. And that resulted in us going to an elite university. Um, So I think the impending fear of burnout is always there for people who were and are are considered academically accelerated in any way. And I don't know that it's so much burnout, more as understanding the fact that you have to be very deliberate about how you compartmentalize personal life, work life, and kind of extracurriculars that may be adjacent to career life so that you're not mixing, you know, your sense of worth between the two so much that you do eventually burn out because that's kind of the way that it can go for a lot of people if you make that mistake. So I don't know that it would necessarily mean it would, we would burn out in the long term. I think it happens to a lot of people. Um, I think not being self-aware of that possibility could certainly lead to that and I I think you know given the fact that we're probably all very and I'm you know speaking for myself here as well but just to kind of give you context about the fact that this seems to be kind of like a community-wide thing I think all because because we're all kind of very over analytical and self-aware people that this is something that we're kind of aware of now um I would say the likelihood of burnout is less but I can't speak definitively um I've certainly seen a couple of people get to certain points myself included where they considered deviating on the path of going, you know, to law school and eventually becoming a lawyer. And a lot of that just came from the fact that, you know, when you're doing something like mock trial and you are quite literally mimicking a trial, you come to realize some of the aspects of law aren't nearly as exciting as maybe you made them out to be. So of course you kind of get to points where you reconsider the profession altogether, but, um, it's something I, I can't speak for everyone else, but it's something I certainly changed my mind on. And, you know, I, for a couple of periods of time, I considered not going to law school. It wasn't ever anything I considered seriously. I never changed my major. I never looked into doing anything else. But 
there were certain points in time where I certainly felt enough pressure where, or I felt enough interest towards other things that I did, um, you know, in my free time, like I, you know, really enjoyed doing fashion journalism. So I thought, is this something that I would feel super unfulfilled if I didn't pursue? And, you know, there, I certainly have a strong enough interest in art history where, um, there were several points in my early life where I considered going into art curation. So that was something that I felt even more drawn to once I moved to New York, but never so much so that I decided to abandon my, you know, career in, you know, pursuing law and eventually politics, mostly because, and the way I've explained it a thousand times is that I know I would feel fundamentally unfulfilled if I did something else. And I think we live in sort of a culture right now where you're really able to tap into all of your hustles if that's what you really want to do. And it would be much easier for me to be a lawyer and decide to freelance for a fashion publication like Man Repeller or something than for me to be a fashion journalist and decide I'm feeling really unfulfilled about not being able to do humanitarian work. What can I do, you know? Yeah. So that's definitely what's kind of kept me back on track and knowing that the work that I want to do is important work and... I, I don't think I'd be able to wake up every day and feel proud of what I was doing if I abandoned that path that meant, you know, means so much to me and has for a long time. I mean, you sound extremely rooted in the foundation with which you're speaking to what you're doing. And what was that backstory like leading up to your studies and say that how intuition played a part in this? Oh, in deciding what I'm like, deciding what I'm studying now or yeah, just because you're, like, you're yeah. in the throes of say juggling a double major in anthropology and international studies with a concentration in Middle East and North Africa. It's, we'll get into like everything else that you're doing aside from this, but for <laughs> now, what put you on this path? Yeah, so um, funnily enough, I would say even though I kind of mixed myself in with a lot of interest growing up, like when I was growing up, like when I was very, very young, I did ballet for a period of time, I did tennis. I did cheerleading for about seven years, if you can believe it. It was 10 years of my life I was a cheerleader. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I was in musical theater for about five, which is also very kind of far left from what I'm doing right now. But I had known I wanted to be a lawyer since I was in about second grade. I had a second grade teacher who told me that I was fantastic at arguing and that I should consider being a lawyer. And at the time, I barely knew what being a lawyer was. But it sounded like, you know, it was something that I would be good at doing. So it was something that I decided I was going to do. And... Um, yeah, when I was in middle school, I, when I was doing musical theater for as long as I was, there was a period in time where I thought, you know, maybe I might, you know, pursue this as a career, but, you know, to be quite honest with you, because I did a bit of training before I actually dove into doing plays and musicals and such, like I did about two years of actual just training with a vocal coach and an acting coach before I actually started doing musical theater because I was doing it at a local theater. Um, by the time I would say I got maybe three or four musicals in, I realized this is a lot of fun for me and I can't ever really replicate the amount of fun I have when I'm performing on a stage, but this isn't, you know, something that makes me feel as empowered and invigorated as it, as you know, my friends and my peers, you know, at this theater do like, this is something that they couldn't picture their life without. Like this is their long run. This is their long term. They can't do anything but this. This is what they were made to do. And as much fun as I was having, I knew there was a fundamental difference between how I felt about the activity and how they felt about the activity. So when it came time to apply for high schools, um, you know, I could have just gone to a regular high school, but I had been academically, you know, accelerated and gifted all throughout elementary and middle school. So I was basically doing a split of two things. I was applying to performing arts high schools and I was performing and I was applying to, you know, academically accelerated high schools. And, you know, at the time I really 
was leaning towards doing a performing arts high school. And that's because of how much fun I was having in theater. Um, so I applied to a couple, but I guess what kind of told me I, you know, wasn't meant to be doing that was there is this school um, called New World in, high, in Miami, and it's probably the best performing arts high school in Miami. And I decided not to apply. I went to a presentation for the school, and they kind of gave us a rundown of what the arts program was, specifically the musical theater arts program. And I actually went there again because I played instruments in middle school. I went there again with my um, wind symphony class, I think, when I was in seventh grade. And there was something about it where as fun as it looked like, it looked like something where I would just kind of feel like, you know, this is a lot of fun, and I feel like I'm like on a field trip because I don't really feel like I'm, on, I'm at school, but it wasn't something where I could see myself going to school every day and dedicating, I think it's like 50% of my day just to whatever art form, you know, we got admitted for. And I didn't see myself doing that. So I ultimately also ended up applying to one of the um, better, if not still considered the best um, academic high schools in Miami. And I ended up getting in. I actually ended up getting in when I was, I got like the news that I got into that school. I was in New York going to see uh, a musical theater artist perform. So it was a very kind of confusing point for me. Um, and I decided to go there. It was the best school I had gone into and there was no way I was going to, you know, give up that opportunity. And it was certainly not something that was encouraged to give up, you know, by my mom or my parents. And I ended up going there and it was, so the premise of the actual high school itself, it started out as a, like a marine science school, but they also had the Cambridge program there and the Cambridge program had two tracks. They had the international studies track and the STEM track. And I, got admitted for the international studies program. And through there, I was basically taking a lot of international studies classes. So I took some classes like there was one class I took called Global Perspectives, which I think was probably the class that ultimately pushed me in the direction that I'm in now. So it was basically kind of like a mini international studies course. Um, and I kind of realized when I was in high school that I did really like to learn languages. Um, so I had already spoke Spanish at home, something I, that I still kind of in and out of getting better at and I took German for two years in high school and then the last two years I took French um, so that was something that I realized I really liked to do that I had an interest in linguistics so I dedicated some time to that um, and yeah I was mostly I would say the influence of being on a political debate team being in model UN um, being on you know moot court um, and then also kind of like the leadership roles that I had while I was in high school so um, when I was in high school for the latter two years, um, for junior and senior year, I was president of those clubs. I was, um, co-captain of like the moot court team. I was president of like the social studies honor society. Um, there was this volunteer organization in Miami called hands on Miami. And I was president of the youth advisory board. And my senior year, I actually started a nonprofit tutoring program. So I kind of realized I had like a profound interest in not only leadership roles, obviously humanitarian work, but that kind of in tandem with my time spent in, you know, moot court and the, the political debate program sort of made me understand that the track I wanted to put myself on was not only pre-law, but something that had to do with international studies. So when I initially came to Fordham, I was actually a political science and international studies major. Um, and I would definitely say the more time I spend at college, I would say like most college students, I already went into college already considering myself someone who is pretty far left on the political spectrum. But once I actually got to college, being in a city like New York, that gave me more access to politics itself and information about politics definitely pushed me even further left. And the reason I left my, I, you know, changed my major from political science to anthropology was my ultimate approach and kind of long-term goal in my career is I would like to practice law for some time, definitely no more than like 10 years. 
Um, and then I'd like to either work for a non-governmental organization or run for office or both, just because I, obviously I would have the ability and time to do both. And I didn't feel that not only Fordham's political science program, but the political science kind of curriculum that exists in mass in the United States, and I, I'm not sure beyond, but certainly in the United States, definitely provides students with a very limited scope and understanding of not only U.S. politics, but international politics. And I felt that I was dealing with a lot of really outdated and out-of-touch subject matter that wasn't going to really supplement not only me as a student, because, you know, these classes are something you dedicate a lot of time, money, and, you know, resources to, but really long-term in my career. So because sort of my trajectory is to eventually work in a lot of hands-on humanitarian work, both at a domestic and international scale, I felt that anthropology would be a better supplement for my international studies um, major to be able to have, be able to put me in a position to actually understand the different types of people I would come and, you know, I would be interacting with in a humanitarian in a humanitarian context so that I wasn't ever being a savior or condescending in any way, because that's very important to me when you're working in humanitarian work to make sure that you're doing it in an ethical and responsible way. Because to be quite frank, humanitarian work done in a way that's not correct can actually be more impactful than um, be more harmful rather than no help at all. So I definitely wanted to put myself in a good position to not, you know, to not just end up like every other political science you know, major graduate in the United States who, you know, graduates from their university, goes to law school, ends up in like some corporate law position or ends up in some political, political consulting position. And then maybe they do run for office, but they end up kind of forgetting where they came from or forgetting what they initially set out to do and end up becoming like every moderate politician who is really only appealing to a certain group in the United States and isn't really helping the people who need the help. And, you know, considering the fact that I really didn't grow up wealthy whatsoever, and I certainly am not coming from a privileged position whatsoever. I never wanted to put myself in a place where I could forget my goal and where I came from and what I really set out to do. So that's kind of how I ended up in the two majors I'm in now. And um, yeah, I hope that sort of explains it. It was a lot of sort of different pieces, but that's really what it took to kind of get to deciding to do what I'm doing. No, I mean, you you definitely, I mean, heck, you know, you could throw running this podcast onto there as well. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) there is just so much stimulation with which you've filled your time with you've given space and really involved yourself in I'd say almost everything that kind of like piqued your interest yeah I was definitely very lucky um I like I said my mom did pretty much raise my sister and I by herself by herself um her parents were very very supportive and so was her sister and um you know really funnily enough my dad's parents were actually very quite supportive of us growing up as well so I think what my mom wanted to do is my mom also grew up in a very strict household, but in a different way. And so insofar as that her and her sister were very much kind of put down a certain path and weren't given a lot of room to deviate. And she didn't want us to kind of have the scene where we could grow up and say, I wish I'd been able to do this, but my mom was so strict. I didn't get the chance. And she really wanted to not only give us the opportunity to explore everything we were interested in, but to make us well-rounded people, which is why she was so, you know, stringent about making sure we did community service work and make sure that she, you know, like I said, Miami, contrary to popular belief, is really not that, you know, diverse of a place. It's very diverse within people of, you know, Latinx, um, you know, descent. But besides that, you don't get a lot of access to different types of culture. So any, you know, type of cultural festival that was in town or any type of arts festival that was in town or even the food festivals that were in town and like the few 
art museums that we had, my mom, you know, we never had a weekend where we weren't doing something productive or enriching. And, you know, despite the fact that we didn't have a lot of money, a lot of these events were either free or they didn't cost that much. And she was really good at making sure we were exposed to different things that definitely made us well-rounded people. And, you know, for me, a lot of that meant kind of tapping into different academic and cultural, you know, aspects of, you know, my interests. And for my sister, my sister is most likely going to go into the medical field, but she also plays sports. So she's like a soccer player, but she's also, you know, spent time playing lacrosse at some point and she's spent some, she's going to try out for water polo next year because she's 16. So she's still in high school. So, um, you know, we've definitely been very lucky that we have the opportunity to explore so many of our interests and so many things that I would say make up who we both are. And, you know, that for us, those are totally different things, but we certainly got very lucky that we, you know, have a parent who, care so much about making sure that we're we're well-rounded people because it's very easy in a city like Miami to not be so well-rounded and be very well-untracked and we like I said we got very lucky that that wasn't the case because I see it all the time yeah and so while all this is going on what does that inner dialogue look like because I'm hearing you right now and it just seems you're very in tune to everything that's going on externally and I can just imagine you sound like Thumper the rabbits like you're bopping back yeah. between so much but like <laughs> as a young person who was really establishing yeah. themselves as, you know not to get lost in that your mom sounds amazing as well she sounds like she completely facilitated a very strong sense of self and like allowing you to just branch out but that inner dialogue I'd love to know how you've cultivated that and kept in touch with that yeah so I mean this is probably like not the most popular answer, but really the way that I'm able to kind of cope with it is like I said, I'm a very, very, I'm like a control freak. I'm a control freak. I'm very, you know, Hey, own it. Or I'm I'm very oriented toward organization and I'm very oriented towards compartmentalizing things. And to be quite frank, if I weren't that way, I don't know that I'd have any clue who I was to be quite honest with you. It's, it's very, I think I find it very difficult to be able to separate my investment in all of those interests and the way that I want that investment to manifest. So, you know, kind of the way that I, and I have to be so stringent about this now that I'm in New York because people have so many hustles and because a lot of the people who I interact with outside of school are so much older than me, you know, just by the nature of like the people who I interact with at Manor are like at maximum five to 10 years older than me. And, you know, the people who I interact with like professionally at like internships and jobs, again, you know, at maximum three to five years older than me. Um, sometimes even more like at my internship, I'm certainly the only person there, if not besides the legal intern who's in their 20s. So a lot of that, I would say, definitely comes from the fact of being able to understand like what I'm pulling in terms of like advice and insight from those people and apply it in like a meaningful way. So, you know, I know my number one priority is my you know immediate career path, which is my next step being law school, the steps after that being what are, you know, law my other career, so have you. So that's kind of what I give 95, maybe say like 90% of my effort to. Like that's always going to come first. School, you know, my job at school, all my extracurriculars at school, that always comes first. So like, you know, it's for me kind of like during the school year, it's like school, mock trial, the two clubs I'm president of, like immediately after my job. And then like, everything else kind of comes after that, you know, during the summer, I have a little bit more freedom. So I certainly live kind of dual lives in that sense. But, you know, school and everything like that is 90% of my time. Um, After that, it's anything I kind of do as it relates to fashion, because that's something that's meant, you know, an incredible amount to me ever since I was younger. Um, Like I have like so many pictures of myself when I was a little kid, like 
making like outfits out of like my mom's and my aunt's like scarves like there's this one picture that's absolutely hilarious it's like a picture I think it was like one of my aunt's like scarves I don't even know why she had it people don't need scarves in Miami but it was like this like sparkly scarf and like I made like this like cross dress out of it and then I like had them safety pin it for me so I mean if that doesn't tell you how far back my interest has gone I don't know what will but that definitely comes immediately after and um Really, I would just say that's because, and I actually was having a conversation about this, you know, part of my life with someone literally two days ago. I think for me, fashion itself has always been kind of an indication. My personal fashion has always been an indication of kind of where I'm at in life. So I definitely went through a phase, like a year, and maybe all of life before that, where I was like a maximalist, you know, to the letter. I mean, everything was a lot of color a lot of crazy fabric. Like I was just obsessed with pushing the boundaries in so many ways. And for that period, that very long period in my life, that absolutely worked perfectly. That was who I was. That's, that was the best way for me to express myself. It was almost like costume wear for me. I was still figuring out so much, so much of who I am. I mean, obviously I still am now, but right now I do feel a little bit more certain and assured in who I am, but that was kind of a way for me to it was kind of an extension of like the performative nature of who I am to kind of put on this show while I was still figuring out who I was and you know I've gotten to a point in my life where I would consider myself a minimalist Um, I definitely don't wear nearly as much color as I used to right now I'm kind of just focused on a lot of clean sleek pieces that are easily mixable work well I'm actually trying to whittle my wardrobe down to like a capsule wardrobe which has been an absolute nightmare considering I had well over 200 pieces of clothing, I would say, because I was so into mixing and matching and doing all this crazy stuff up until now. So now I'm really focused on just getting a lot of high quality, nice, clean pieces because that's where I feel like I'm at in my life. I feel like I have a much more clear direction of who I am personally, academically, you know, at every kind of point in my life. And I want my clothing to reflect that. So, you know, that's why I would say fashion comes immediately after everything else, just because that's something that's always going to be underlying. It's always going to be a part of literally how I present myself to everyone I meet. So cultivating my image, you know, immersing myself in the fashion world, which I've always loved so much, you know, was such a high priority of my life. And I would definitely say it takes up at least 40% of my, you know, like, you know, not 40% of my time, but 40% of my remaining time after that 90% that I dedicate to school, just because it does mean so much to me. And then after that, you know, I'm definitely trying to work my way into getting back into doing community service work. It's definitely weird trying to figure out, figure out how to do that again, living in a totally different city um, and having a totally different set of priorities and, you know, living life more on your own. You know, when I was in high school, it was so much more easy to pack my schedule to the brim. Not that I don't still, but pack my schedule quite literally until the end of the day when I wasn't cooking for myself. You know, I was living at home, you know, I wasn't, everything was being done for me. Whereas now, you know, like every other person who's living on their own, you know, I have to do grocery shopping. I have to kind of tend to my own, you know, workout or whatever routine I'm doing to take care of myself, different, you know, social obligations. So I haven't quite figured out how to integrate service work back into my schedule, which has been quite difficult for me the past couple of years, considering that's something that I want to be able to do again. So prioritizing how to understand um, how to get back into that has also been up on my priority list. And then also making time for things that like just genuinely make me happy, like seeing my friends and like going to museums and going to galleries and, you know, whether it's just window shopping or actually shopping, you know, those, that's kind of like the remaining like 2% 
Um, so, you know, I definitely don't probably get out as much and have as much fun as I'd like to just because of the nature of my schedule. But um, definitely still to a point that makes me content. I don't feel like I have no social life, kind of like I did last summer. Last summer, I um, was working on a campaign and I was actually on staff, which was insane because I was 19 and I never worked on a campaign before. And I applied as an intern and I got brought on as staff and it was a very exciting time for me, but it also very quickly became a very stressful time for me because, you know, as you can imagine, working on a campaign is really hectic. Um, and so many things were being thrown at me that I didn't know how to do yet. And it was so much learning on the job and going into work every day and not knowing what you were going to do. So I'm certainly very happy now to be back into a more stable routine. But last summer, I definitely kind of understood what it was like to have that, you know, summer in New York intern hustle where I had no social life. And I literally, I think I saw my friends and the person I was dating at the time three times that whole summer. I, yeah, I saw my friends once, one time I actually got pulled out of that outing to go into a work event and everyone else like twice. So that whole summer, I really got an understanding of what it was like to have no social life and to not have any routine. And that drove me really crazy. So I was like, I don't know how keen I'll be on working on the campaign unless I'm maybe the candidate <laughs> in the future. So, and even so that was, you know, watching him do that was certainly a lot of work. He certainly didn't have an easy time. I think the candidate's 42nd birthday was turned into a fundraising event. So to give you, and he had a three-day vacation that he carved out a year and a half in advance, and the campaign had to cancel that because he had to come back into town for, I think, five more events, so. He hey, girl, that, that's your future yeah. you're looking at right there. <laughs> that's my future, so I, I was like, maybe in the meantime, I can relax a little bit, and by relax, I mean have two jobs, but at least those two jobs allow me to actually have time off and see my friends, so that definitely was a lesson, I would say, so yeah, I'm definitely kind of working through how that will definitely be my future at some point and really kind of going back to what that inner dialogue looks like the best way for me to do that is to separate everything into very you know secular and pragmatic points so that I can work through every single part of myself every day because if I didn't honestly I think I'd go crazy you know there have been definitely certain points I'm not gonna act like I have it together all the time especially during particularly difficult points in the school year, whether it's difficult because of school itself or particularly mock trial because it's quite an intense extracurricular where I have, you know, freaked out and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, you have all these things going on. You need to pick one or two and, you know, stick to those and move on. But, you know, what I really end up coming back to once I'm kind of able to get past that freak out is that no one is a singular, you know, not a singular person, but no one has singular interests. No one is dedicated to one thing and that thing only. And, you know, I would be, I wouldn't want to get to the end of my life and feel like I missed out on things that I really could have engaged myself in because, you know, I wanted to have more calmness in my life. I think that's, I'd be remiss and it would be a total waste. So, you know, between kind of reminding myself of that and being able to really break things down and you know, assess how much time each needs in a reasonable sense. That's kind of how I'm able to keep it all together. And I think, frankly, that that's the way that a lot of people keep it together to avoid, you know, that impending burnout that we were talking about later on, because that's kind of the way that a lot of people do burn out. They, you know, something I read a lot about is that a lot of people who are gifted as young people, um, they get to maybe a point in their college career, their actual career, where they realize things aren't coming to them as easily as they used to. So they, you know, kind of, do a lot of things halfway and then they end up burning out because they're not getting the results they want to without realizing that as you get older, things require more effort. So I'm kind of working really hard at making sure that's never me because it is definitely frustrating sometimes to be like, 
you know, I never had to study until college because, you know, things just came a lot easier. Um, and this especially just because with college, you have so many people who just teach and grade and go about class in totally different ways that it would be impossible to not have to study like you did in high school, middle school, et cetera. So it's about being realistic and aware of, you know, not, you know, not treating having to do more or ask for more help as your abilities dwindling, but more as, you know, life is changing and you kind of have to change with it, which is definitely harder for me sometimes because like I said, I am someone who's, you know, routine oriented and I'm a little stubborn. So change isn't always super fun for me, but you know, I'm in a point in my life where change is so fundamentally necessary that I'm getting a little bit better at rolling with the punches. So that's a big part of that inner dialogue as well. Just hearing you say that I need to work harder to keep a handle on that and then you closing out with the need to roll the punches. The two energetics between those two, maybe, you know, don't even work so hard at all. It's like you just, you just let it all go. You just like, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely hard for me to know when to let go sometimes. So it's something that like I definitely struggle with and like I said there are things that are easy for me to let go with and things that are hard but yeah it's definitely something that is an uphill battle for me all the time because like I said I'm a control freak so it's hard to not want to be in control of everything you do like I was even so so much to the extent that my friends threw me to surprise birthday parties and I am so much of like a person where I'm like I need to know what's going to happen I need to know how this is going to play out so that I can be pro- properly prepared for things oh you I'm don't like, like surprises and that but just barely just barely I mean like I can I can definitely take little surprises but like for me I was just like okay so what do I need to wear what time are we doing this like what like I, I just need the fundamentals like they I was like you guys can surprise me with some of it but not all of it because if not I'll just be thinking the entire time about like what's going to happen what am I going to do so I'm I'm learning to like surprises. That's what I'll say. I've definitely gotten better at them, but um, liking surprises doesn't come natural to me. That's what I'll say. <laughs> you know, I just want to jump in here and say I think you'd love the Notion app because yeah, I'm I'm like you. I need to like I need to compartmentalize everything. Everything has to have a time and place and. You know, it's like they, this app, it's insane. It's like, you know, for students or whether you're in product management or sales, it's like they have competitive analysis to sales assets to onboarding different teams uh, for people. And it's like, you know, they have roadmaps, um, they have support, like their templates for which they facilitate just inputting all the info, every to-do list that you could ever think of. Notion app is absolutely mm-hmm. insane. No, that sounds really cool. I'm definitely going to check it out. It definitely sounds like something I'd be able to use in lots of parts of my life, not even just for school or work. So it's definitely something I'll check out, yeah. This is Amari Alford, Guts and Glory, signing off. This was Yellow Brick Road, Part 1 with Amari Alford. Refer to the show notes to further get to know our guest. Share your thoughts and show us some love by subscribing or get in touch to be featured on the podcast. Released every other Monday, thanks for lending us an ear. Passing on the mic.